So we have kids painting this morning, if you see off to the side. And I had this thought of um, parents and their involvement or people, even if these are not your children. We can be traffic cops, you know, standing there making sure nobody kills anybody. Um, We can be painting with the children. Or we can be worshiping with them through painting. And our goal at the river, with some of the reasons that we do things like this, is so that we will not only engage them in something deeper and teach them that they can be a part of church and kids need things to do with their hands and they do absorb as they're doing things with their hands, but at the same time we're teaching them that worship is more than sitting in a pew and facing straight forward and singing a song and every once in a while if you want to lift your hand like this because you feel, you feel confident enough. You can worship in a lot of different ways. And just because they're painting doesn't mean we can't join them. So if you ever feel like you want to grab a flag or come up and paint or draw or play with the blocks, that might be awesome. And we can become like little children and somehow see the kingdom. For the kids who are sitting though, this sun was hidden a couple weeks ago and I moved it. Very easy to find. I'll give you a hint. It's on the stage. This one I moved, much more difficult, because humans are smarter than sons, and they can hide better. The new one that I hid this week, because they let me move them around, because I felt like they were too easy to find last time. The new one is a little tree, and it's nearly impossible. But you can see it from your seat. So kids, if you can find this, you win a million, I'm just kidding, nothing. You just win, you just, you just get to know that you found it. And it's because today we're talking about trees. If these guys are chatting a little bit, it's okay. I'm okay with it if you're okay with it. Sometimes you, we might hear like, a, look what I painted, and it's just kind of like saying, amen, way to go. Good job, Rod, which is a lot more response than we often get from from the older children in the room. Thank you. This is our last week of creation and then we're moving into the fall on our journey through the Bible in this dirt series. Um, If you're wanting to read through the reading plan, these are free. They're the whole Bible and you can just kind of stick with us and as the sermons go, they'll follow along with stuff that's previously been read through the reading plan. Um, And sometimes we'll we'll jump ahead a little bit. But as we deal with creation, um, there was an awareness that I had this week, um, and I feel like it was God, and I feel like it was also just kind of a simple awareness, that this is the month of February. And February is notoriously known, and for some not notoriously known as the month that Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition comes out every year. It's a billion dollar industry. And my heart just really broke because I've been trapped in that world. And God has brought freedom for me from that world. And with that, because of the twisted sexuality that exists in this culture, there's a lot of women who have been ripped and torn at by the enemy. See? Amen. 
And because of the twisted culture of sexuality that exists in this nation, there's a lot of men who have been really harmed by the addictive forces. But God is a God who likes to restore and heal. And the reason he likes to restore and heal is because he can. And so if you feel courageous and you are one of these people who has been hurt or battered or beat down by the twisting of sexuality in this culture, if you want to stand, we would love to pray for you. If you don't, you don't have to. It's a courageous and kind of a bold move. And it's risky. But when we take risks, God meets us there. So thanks for your honesty. If you know these people, put a hand on them. If you want to stretch out a hand to them. Um, If you don't. And I believe today that God's going to answer this prayer. So agree with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you on behalf of our brothers and sisters who have been hit by a twisted, a twisting of sexuality and how you intended it to be. And in Jesus' name, right now, we claim over them that they are strongholds of purity, that they are strongholds of newness. Father, we don't want to say and come against other strongholds and and research how we overcome demonic strongholds. Father, we just want to ask you to make them become strongholds of purity and strongholds of grace and strongholds of newness. And we know that you can and we thank you for that. And we say in Jesus' name, the enemy that has come against them in one way must flee seven ways. And Father, we set them apart as holy and pure, and we believe that you are the God who restores and makes new, and never again can guilt or shame or blame or bitterness or unforgiveness come against these people, because they are children of God, set apart, seated with Christ in heaven, and pure and clean in every way. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being bold, guys. I was standing with you. So creation works like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was dark and formless, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and the deep. And then God spoke, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he begins to create, and he separates light from darkness, and he separates sky from water and he separates land from oceans and then he begins to fill those things up with stuff and if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 there's a little account of creation that I want to share with you and then we're going to talk about trees in Genesis chapter 2 starting in verse 4 the author writes this This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not set rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man came, became a living being. They're just saying amen. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east of Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, 
were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I did some research on the tree of life a little bit. Some scientific study. Because I wanted to know the exact specifications of this tree. Was it big? Was it little? Was it tall? Was it massive? And my research led me to a tree that I found in Dory's office that just happens to be the exact same size and shape of the tree that was in the Garden of Eden, if you can believe it. And here it is. I'm just kidding. I think this is a broomstick with holes in it, and somebody jammed some plastic leaves in there. But you get the point. Whoever wrote the Bible was on to something, because when the Holy Spirit inspired them, they paid attention to the words. And so as you read through the Bible this year, if you see a tree, understand that it's probably not just hanging out. Trees represent life. And so when you see a tree, you have to ask yourself, is it living? Is it dying? What's it doing? Why is it there? Because in the beginning of creation, God creates a realm that houses life. A realm that houses wholeness. In this place, all is well and all is good and all needs are met and everything is well. And to, and to symbolize that for the people who are there, he places a tree in the middle of the garden. Noah built an ark out of a dead tree and saved all of humanity so that we can be here. And in Ezekiel 47, the very chapter that the river is actually planted out of, and it talks about a river that is rising and rising and rising, so much so that the, the life in that river is, is making it so people can't even cross it and they're just experiencing life. And the, this whole church was planted out of Ezekiel 47. There, along that river, are trees and their fruit is good for eating, and their leaves are good for healing. And trees mean something in the Word of God. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the fall, so I won't spoil it for you. But the fast-forward version is, God told Adam and Eve not to eat from one of the trees, and they did. None of us have ever done anything like that before. So it's all Adam's fault. We had nothing to do with it. But Jesus wasn't finished, and he began to restore everything. He began to make things new. And he showed up and brought forgiveness and stuff like that. And in John chapter 14, Jesus talks to his disciples, and he tells them, don't be worried and don't be afraid. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return and take you there so that you may be with me and you may be where I am. And the disciples would have understood something like that, potentially in a couple of different contexts. The first one being marriage. If a Jewish man is going to marry a Jewish girl and he's traded the dad enough goats, he would say, I am going to prepare a place for you and I will return, and if I go to prepare this place, I'm going to come back and get you, so you can come be with me. And she would wait, and he would go build the house, 
or attach it onto his father's house or however they did that. But when Jesus said this to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you, there's potential that they also understood it in another context. In the beginning of time, God had prepared a place for people for wholeness, for life, and symbolized it with a tree. And his disciples may have been taken back to the Genesis account where God says, I prepared this place, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to a new place to prepare a new place for you that is similar to the old place that will have life. And I'm going to bring you with me to be there. Now, I'm the type of person who, if you give me a book, especially if it's fiction, there's a good chance I will read the last paragraph before I begin the book. Some people find that horribly annoying. But I'm going to do that this morning. So, the, the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. We went for the beginning, and now we're going to skip all the way to the end. Chapter 22, starting in verse 1, John has a vision of heaven. And here's what he sees. Then the angel of the Lord showed me the river of the water of life. Ooh, a river. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great city, of the street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. I did some more research for you guys because you just, you love it when I do this stuff. You love the context. And I found the tree that's going to be in heaven. It's a little more full than the Garden of Eden one. And it looks about like that. In the beginning of time, God created a place that housed life. And there was wholeness, and he put a tree in the middle to symbolize that. And then John has a vision of the end of time. And oddly enough, God put a tree right in the middle of that too. What was, was life and fullness and wholeness and healing. And what will be is life and fullness and wholeness and healing. And we find ourselves as many theologians and Rob Bell would say, between the trees. Rob likes to refer to it as this side of Eden and yet this side of heaven. We find ourselves between the trees. And sometimes what happens is all we can do is mourn the loss of this tree And hope and wait for this one to come. And sometimes it gets so hard that we want to actually speed that up. In destructive ways. And sometimes when we find ourselves between the trees, we find ourselves in the middle of our own brokenness. And sometimes when we find ourselves between the trees, we find ourselves in the middle of our own frailty. We find ourselves in the middle of our own choices that have hurt us. We find ourselves in the middle of other people's choices that have brought us pain. 
We find ourselves in the middle of unforgiveness. We find ourselves in the middle of bitterness. Sometimes we experience abuse. And we find ourselves between the trees. What was doesn't exist, and what will be hasn't happened yet, and what am I supposed to do with that? And so, we come to church, and we hear people preach about making a decision so that someday you can go over here. For some reason, the gospel has been watered down to the point where we read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then jump all the way to Romans. And we say, everything was perfect and you screwed it up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Pray this prayer and you will be able to go be at that place someday. And we miss all the middle pages. And we miss the whole story. And that's why we decided to go through the Bible for a year and get some of this stuff. Because the words in it are important. When you see a tree, it means something. God is doing something. But sometimes in the middle between the trees, we find our own junk. And not to sound super cheesy, but for those of you who find yourself in that broken state and in that hurting place, if it creeps up in a moment and can distract you for the day, there is, there's a third tree. And it's shaped a little different. And yes, Jesus died on it. And the purpose of that was so that we don't have to mourn the loss of this and do nothing while we wait for this. We can experience life now. We can experience wholeness now. We can experience healing now. We can experience what the trees have now. And that's why we take communion. That's why we break the bread. That's why I don't stand up here and offer you like some type of a miracle for 1999. Because it ends with us coming down front and coming to a table and taking off a piece of bread and dipping it into some juice and saying, Jesus, thank you for making this a reality now. And that's it. That's all. That's why we come to church. So that we know we're not crazy. Because <laughs> if we sit at home and believe this stuff on our own, it gets kind of weird. But we come to church and we receive this element, this sacrament, this ordinance, whatever you want to call it, so that we can remember that between the trees, Jesus Christ has come down into our existence to bring life and to bring it to its fullest so that we can live it abundantly now so that we know we're not crazy in believing this stuff. This message is what I call table-centric. It's focused on the table. It's not focused on me. It's not focused on me activating you to something. It's focused on simply one thing. Knowing that in between these trees, Jesus has met us and he offers life and peace. And that's what we're going to remember today. Father, thank you for sending your son to live for us, 
to die for us and to live for us again. And it's because of you that we can know we have abundant life and we can enter through all the junk and we don't have to wait until heaven to experience your wholeness and we don't just have to mourn the Garden of Eden. We thank you for what you offer us and we thank you for these elements. In Jesus' name, amen.